It is in truth the lot of the church of God, in whose name I'm speaking, to endure blows and not to strike them. But also may it please may it please you to remember that it is an anvil, the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. From Theodore Betzer, 16th century Calvinist theologian. I'd love to be able to convince you that I got that from my in-depth church history reading. Truth is, I got it from the colour supplement of the um, Yorkshire Post, the Saturday Yorkshire Post, um, an article on atheism. But uh, it's a genuine quote. I looked it up and checked it. It's a genuine quote. And I just love that quotation. I used it a couple of weeks ago in the talk I was giving elsewhere. And... um, It'll wear with being used a second time. I love that quotation. The church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. That is the church triumphant. That's the church victorious, isn't it? The church against which the gates of hell itself cannot prevail. And the church, like its leader, Jesus Christ, has endured many blows but never strikes them. The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was led like a lamb to the slaughterer. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. And his church is called to do the same. And its leaders are called to do the same. And the Christians of this world, his people, are called to do the same. To be anvils that wear out many hammers, to endure blows, but not to strike them. From the very beginning, from Acts chapter 2 onwards... The church has been attacked, it's been persecuted, it's been accused of being bigoted and narrow-minded and controversial and revolutionary and anarchic. And in some parts of the world, even today, the church has been seen as a major threat to political systems, to other religions, and just to the status quo, which has led to horrendous persecution and the martyrdom of many, many thousands, perhaps millions. But worse still... I think, and I think there is worse still. Worse still is when the church is ignored. And when the church is seen to be irrelevant, of no consequence, they've got nothing of value to offer. It's outmoded, it's outdated, it's outdone and it's outrun by secular organizations and charities. That is worse by far, I think. And maybe for the last seven or eight decades in this country, maybe longer, that's how it's been. The church has been told by local authorities, by political parties, by the forces of law and order, by other charities, step aside now, your day is done. Your day is long gone. You've got nothing of value to contribute to anything other than a bit of pastoral care for the weak who need a crutch to help them get through life. You know, being sidelined, being ignored, considered to be inconsequential, irrelevant, is far worse than being an anvil that wears out many hammers. But I'm talking about yesterday. I'm talking about yesterday. This is today. And what is happening in the churches across this country today is of an entirely different matter, thank God. The Church of Jesus Christ in the UK is not only rediscovering its purpose and its vision but it's also been recognized by the authorities and the powers that be in the nation as a force to be reckoned with. Something which they cannot afford to ignore any longer. And we haven't even started yet. The best is certainly yet to come. I think I heard an amen then. Thank you. No one 
No one can deny the impact the church has made in meeting the needs of those struggling with food in this nation. No one can deny the impact the church has made in getting thousands upon thousands of people in this nation out of crippling debt. Nobody can deny that the churches and the Christian charities have saved the lives of thousands of drug addicts across the nation through rehabs like Teen Challenge and Battelle. It's the churches that provide the pregnancy counselling and the aftercare for those traumatised by having abortions. It's the church that provides bereavement counselling, drop-in centres for the lonely and the marginalised. It's the church that provides accommodation and food for the homeless and the vulnerable. It's the church that provides marriage and parenting courses. It's the church that has done much more just causing our society to change its views about the value and the worth of this thing that we call church, but which we really know is the hope of the whole world. I believe with all my heart that it's the local church, the body of Christ here on earth that is the hope of the world. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again because we need to keep on hearing it until we really believe it. We need to remind ourselves of this. We need to be encouraged. People like John Kirby, the founder of CAP, Christians Against Poverty. Gavin Calver, the director of mission at the Evangel Alliance. Andy Hawthorne, the founder of Message Trust. People who've got a far better grasp of what is going on than you and I have. Tell us that nationwide the church is in, a far, is in far better condition than it has been for many years. And it's more active and it's doing more good than it's done in living memory. I was at a thing called the Common Mission Forum on Tuesday morning. It's a, it's, a, it's a gathering of churches who are together in Harrogate, something that's grown out of the hub, and we're there because we, we believe we have a common mission. And this is our forum where we get together and we talk about what, we, what we're doing and what we can do together and what we can do to support each other and what we're already doing. New churches like our own were there. Anglicans, Methodists, United Reformed Church, maybe up to 15 different churches, maybe more, all come together for the kingdom of God and to see what we can do to develop, to accelerate, to improve our mission to this town by working together. Now, I've been leading church in this area for 30 years and I know that even, it's all right, they're rehearsing the gathering demoniac, it's okay. Um, I've been leading church in this area for 30 years and I know that even 10 or 15 years ago that sort of meeting that we had on Tuesday morning would have been impossible in this area. Today is different. Today is different. Other churches are asking, what can our church do to help with feeding the hungry on a Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night? Several churches in Harrogate and Starbeck are talking about organising yet another Alpha course. The food bank is served by Christians from all sorts of different churches across the area, supported by their leaders. Resurrected Bites, based in St. Mark's, is now looking at branching out, taking their franchise out into other churches across the area. They work with Waste Not Want Not in making food available to those who can't afford to adequately feed themselves. There's an awful lot of stuff going on in the church across this region these days. The church was seen to be inadequate, inconsequential, of no importance, but that was yesterday. And this is today. And there's a fresh wind, the spirit blowing across this land. And God is using people like you and me and churches like this to drive this fresh move across this land and across this nation. I can remember years ago hearing a preacher in the late 1970s preaching the most astounding prophetic word 
using the, uh, the illustration of Samson. Samson, that you know, had incredible strength. You find this story in the book of Judges in, in, the, in the Bible. Samson had great strength, and his great strength lay in his uncut hair. Okay? Um, and his superhuman strength enabled him to overcome the Philistines, the, the, Jewish, uh, the, the Jews' enemies, and beat them in many battles. But one day he's tricked into getting his hair cut. And with it goes his God-given strength. And Samson is immediately overpowered by the Philistines and taken into captivity where he's blinded and kept in chains. And on one occasion, a special Philistine feast day, they bring Samson out to humiliate him and mock him. This one strong, powerful man now reduced to a blind prisoner. As I say, they didn't realize that Samson, during his time of captivity, are you back with me? All right, back with me? He didn't realize that during his time of captivity, his hair had grown back. And with it, his strength had returned. And he uses his strength in one last final struggle, which destroys the Philistines and their temple. And this minister was saying, this preacher was saying, that just as Samson's hair had grown and his strength had returned, the preacher, delivering that prophetic word, reckoned that the church in the UK, which had for decades appeared to be weak and dying, and like Samson had lost its strength, was gradually the church was gradually being restored to full strength and power. That prophecy I heard 30 years ago, and over the last 10 to 15 years, I've had the privilege of seeing the church regaining its strength and its power in this nation, and seeing that prophecy being fulfilled, which is very exciting. I love that song. Some of you will know it, some of you won't. It's called Onward Christian Soldiers. There's real oldie and a goldie. How many of you know it? Onward Christian Soldiers. Here's how the words go. Onward Christian Soldiers. Listen carefully to the words. They're fantastic. We've got to learn this one, Kit. I know it's right out of our framework. It's not our style, but we've got to learn this one. Right? Don't forget. Onward Christian soldiers marching us to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward, into battle, see his banners go. At the name of Jesus, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Fabulous verse coming up. Listen to this one. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided. All one body we, one in faith and spirit, one eternally. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise which can never fail. Hey, pretty good that, isn't it? Kicks a Welsh victory in the grand, uh, grand slam into touch, I tell you, when he reads stuff like that. Isn't it amazing? Love that. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. It's been done before. Let's not get arrogant about it. God's done it with others before. Done far more with others than we're starting to do now. But we have the opportunity to be history makers. To leave something behind which is far better than we started off with. Perhaps in generations to come, our grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren maybe, will be able to say something happened a couple of decades into the 21st century. When the church seemed to be finished and on its knees, out for the count, 
But God moved on groups of sold out Christians across the country and the church was revived and strengthened and society was transformed by the witness and the work of these Christian men, women, boys and girls. Wouldn't you love your grandkids, your great grandkids to be able to say that? Something happened to that generation of people around the 2020s, somewhere around there. And the church and society was transformed. So what are we going to do about it? How do we encourage, how do we facilitate what God seems to be doing amongst us today and not hinder it, not slow it down or stop it? I want to say three difficult things to you, three difficult things. First thing is this. God can only do what he wants to do amongst us if we're willing to cooperate with him. Now for a few minutes I want to talk to you about the importance of work in the church. I've been recently reading a book called The G Factor by Scott Wilson, G standing for growth, the growth, the growth factor. And one of the many things that Scott Wilson highlights in his book is the need for the church to accept the fact that it needs to work, the church needs to work. There's a false belief, especially in the charismatic evangelical churches, that working, rolling up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty, is in some way unspiritual. Some charismatic evangelical Christians are of the opinion that certainly we should, we should pray for, for growth and revival. Of course we should. We should seek God for it. We should wait on him. Of course we should. And no doubt we, we should fast and we should pray and wait on God. But those same Christians are very reluctant to do any hard work to make things happen. You know, I've had people in this church and certainly in the church before in Nairsborough who've tried to persuade me to stop doing everything that we're doing. Bring it all to an end. And let's just spend time sitting and praying and waiting on God until he does something. How many times I heard that at one time? Let's just stop doing everything. Kick it all into touch. And we just spend time sitting and waiting and praying and see what God does. I don't want to sound cynical, but I'm being honest. Years later... Those same people, I could name them, but I won't. Those same people are still waiting for God to do something whilst we are feeding the hungry, meeting the needs of the addicted and setting the captives free and winning people to Christ. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got the more liberal and conservative Christians who see the importance of work but spend very little time in developing intimacy with God through prayer and waiting on him. And the truth is you've got to have both. You've got to have both. God has made us to be spiritual and as well as physical beings. And if we're going to see the work of God, be, sorry, if we're going to see the will of God being worked out through us, then we have to be spiritual and physical. We've got to seek God. We've got to pray. We've got to wait on Him. But we also need to be ready to work really hard. Bottom line is, if you want to grow, you want to see the purpose of God being fulfilled, then. Not only do we have to pray and develop intimacy with God, but we also have to work. We know that good and rewarding things in life don't just come to us. They're not handed to us on a plate. They require effort and hard work to make them happen, but we know it's worth it. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 6 to 15. That's 1 Corinthians, first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 6 to 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 15. Paul says there, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. 
So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, have one purpose. They each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God's given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it, on, bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what's been built survives, the builder will receive a ward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. You see how this passage shows that labor, hard work, toil, whatever you want to call it, produces great results for Christians. Now that word work is, is used in that passage. In, in your version of the Bible, it may be labor, it may be toil, but it means the same thing. Same word is used to describe the reason why Jesus came to earth. It says in John 9, 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night's coming when no one can work. In Acts, Paul and Barnabas are set apart from the rest of the church for this work. Same word is used for Christ, what Christ accomplished on the cross. In this passage we just read, it says that Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. It's sad that some Christians emphasize the second part of that sentence about God giving the growth, but they play down the first bit about Paul and Apollos' work. But Paul is saying, look, we can't do anything without God. And strangely enough, God has chosen not to do too much without our work, without our involvement. Isn't that amazing? There's something called task theology. Task theology. It's the theology of how God gets things done through people's labor and hard work. We tend to ignore it to a certain extent. But there's a strong stream of that theology which we need to look at. Some Christians will argue that grace removes the need to work. And that needs looking at as well. Because I've been challenged by Christians in the past on this subject who say you don't need to do anything anymore. Grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. God's grace means favorable regard. That's what grace means. Favorable regard. And it is essential for our salvation. Grace is when you can't do anything to merit God's favor. It's a free gift which wins you salvation. But whilst grace is essential for salvation and is the work of God, after our salvation, things have got to change. And there needs to be clear understanding of what happens when a person comes into a relationship with Christ and what they do for Christ is different. Our relationship with Christ is dependent on grace. Couldn't have a relationship without grace. But what we do afterwards is dependent on our work and our labor. We can't avoid it. Just look at what happened to Jesus' disciples. They became followers of Jesus, receiving salvation through God's grace. But immediately they're told to start work. Go out and pray, pray for the sick. Go out and raise the dead. Go out and feed the hungry. Go out and tell people about the good news of Jesus. Paul is called a master builder. And he calls us his fellow laborers. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesian church, the gift of the Spirit being given to me for the work of ministry. You know, I think 
I think this church has got a pretty good grasp of this. And that we keep the spiritual and the physical, grace and work, pretty well balanced. And I thank you for that. But let's just make sure that continues to be the case. Second thing I think we need to do to facilitate what God seems to be doing and not hinder it, not slow it down or stop it, we need to make every effort to maintain our unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We need to make every effort to maintain our unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You've got those three words, of course, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. And I can't overemphasize how important they are. How many great works of God have been destroyed because people fell out with each other? For over 20 years, in a town quite close to here, there was a massive church full of vibrant people, of powerful ministries, all sorts of incredible gifts. And their influence was felt right across the north of England at least, probably further afield than that. Then one of their leaders was asked to go and lead a church some distance away. There was nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that at all. However, he left the church without making it clear who was left in leadership afterwards. And you know what I'm going to say next. And the four or five people who thought they should have been leaders started to fall out with each other because it wasn't clear who the next leader should be. And they started to argue with each other and their fighting and their squabbling gradually tore the church apart. Truth is that now, 20 years later, there's virtually nothing left of that once great church, which is a tragedy. Even closer to home than that, there was a good and a powerful church in this town. Church of 130 people, been in existence for at least 30 years and was going places. And because of disunity and people falling out with the leadership of the church, that is now sadly, that church is now sadly on its knees. I could tell you of other churches in Leeds and Bradford and York and elsewhere, which were once great churches. Once great churches were there, now, long, long, now no longer in existence or they're a shadow of their former selves because people stop making the effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. You know, we need to be very careful how we speak to each other, what we put in our texts, what we put in our emails, which can be so easily misunderstood. I've come across churches recently where misunderstanding and problems in relationships have occurred because carelessly written texts and emails I've just done these things. And some of those churches have banned the use of social media for serious communication. Instead, they insist that people speak face to face with each other or via the phone. Thank you. I agree as well. Just listen to me, please. Listen to me carefully. It is easy to fall out with each other. Dead easy to fall out with each other. We can easily give and we can take offense. It's too easy to make mistakes occasionally or not to do things as well as we could do and fall out over it. And in doing so, we probably do the church of Jesus Christ immeasurable harm and damage. Please, don't put the leadership of this church on a pedestal and think that we shall be perfect because we aren't. And we will occasionally let you down and disappoint you. Not because we want to. Not because we deliberately want to be nasty and horrible. But because we're human beings, we're fallible human beings who make mistakes, who get things wrong. Please believe me, the leadership of this church love you. We love you. And would not do anything deliberately to hurt any one of you. And if we have hurt any of you during the lifetime of this church, be it a long time ago or more recently, 
I, with whom the buck stops, apologize to you. And when we get things wrong, let's be quick to apologize and equally quick to forgive so that we can maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Some people think that if you apologize, it shows weakness. I don't think that. I don't think that. You see, peace and unity not only enables God to do what he wants to do. Peace and unity not only enables God to do what he wants to do. Unity within a church almost compels God to do what he wants to do within a church. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil poured in the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. Life forevermore. Behold how good and pleasant it is. It's God's promise to us to bless the places, to bless the people, the churches where he sees unity. Final thing I want to say, point number three. I think we need to... The third thing I think we need to do to facilitate what God seems to be doing amongst us and not hinder it or slow it down is increasingly share Jesus with others. You know, some of us who have been around church about 30 years or so sat together in a coffee shop a week or two ago and we were reflecting on the fact that the church scene has changed so much during that time. Not the time while we were sitting in the coffee shop, by the way. We were there quite a while, but I'm talking about the 20, 30 years we were talking about, all right? Churches that seem to be trapped in time and in the trappings of denominationalism, incapable of modernizing or being relevant to uh, the ordinary man or woman in the street. Churches that insist on singing hymns that were written centuries ago in ancient English, which meant nothing to somebody living in the second half of the 20th century. And we just reminisced over those, those churches. But over the last 20 years, so many of those denominal, domin, denominational churches had changed and become friendlier, speaking in modern English, singing the same worship songs that we sing, making their buildings warm and friendly, creating food banks, hosting alpha courses, making themselves increasingly relevant to ordinary, everyday people and so on. And when you think like that, when you think like that, you begin to wonder if so much has changed in these traditional denominational churches, does our type of church have a reason for existing? Does it have a reason for continuing to exist? And of course the answers are resounding yes, or I wouldn't be speaking like this, would I? Be shooting myself in the foot. Now in addition to the fact that many of the songs that those, those, uh, those traditional denominational so- uh, churches sing are songs that have come from churches like ours, like Hillsongs and the, the church in Bradford and uh, ground level churches. The other thing I think we still have to offer our nation and other churches is our belief in and our practice of mission. Hang on to that. We still have something to to give, to contribute to the other churches. I think that our sort of new church, as they call these days, still have a lot to contribute to other churches and to the wider society. Our understanding of and the necessity of proclaiming the good news of Jesus to a waiting, damaged, 
hurting world is all important. And I think this is something we have still got to work on. I want to say to you this morning that as well as taking a serious approach to hard work and unity, we really need to make mission work. We need to learn how to share the good news of Jesus person to person with friends, family, colleagues and those that we spend our time with. I think it is fair and right to say that right across the nation the church has seen a lot of success over the last 15 years or so. We've started to become more relevant to the wider population of the country. We feed the hungry. We help people to get out of serious debt. We help them to get into jobs. But I don't think that we've made evangelism work as it should do because something like 95% of the population are still outside the church and still see church and Jesus and God as totally irrelevant to themselves. I don't have the figures, but I know that if I look at our church and others, I know there's not the sort of massive growth you'd expect if our evangelism was really working as it should be. To be very personal, and I'm not, I'm not asking just you, I ask myself this question as well, Let's just ask ourselves, how many of our unsaved family members, colleagues, neighbours, friends have become Christians over the last five years? Let's ask ourselves another question. When was the last time I led a family member, a colleague, a neighbour, a friend to Christ? Ask ourselves yet another question. When was the last time I tried, even tried, to share the gospel with a family member, a colleague, a neighbour, a friend? When was the last time I prayed for an opportunity? to share with a family member, a friend, a colleague, etc. Now, I'm not trying to bring us under condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but I think we need to be serious and honest about what we're doing and what is happening. And I think this is the next step for this church and others to increasingly tell people about Jesus, to tell them what God has done for us through him, and to eventually lead people to faith in him. Let me just suggest some things to you. I'm going to finish in a moment or two. Your unsaved friends and your family may not want you to tell them about Jesus. They may not want to hear a sermon. They may not want to hear your testimony. They may not want you to witness to them. But they might let you pray for them. They might let you pray for them when they're in trouble. They might let you pray for them when they're sick. They might let you pray for them when there's problems with their kids or with their place of work. And that's a start. Because it seems that God loves to answer prayers for non-Christians. And when you've prayed for them, And their prayer has been answered. You can ask them, is there anything else you'd like us to pray for? Because God answered that prayer, didn't he? What else can we pray for for you? And one day you'd be able to say, you know that that God that keeps on answering your crazy prayers, how would you like to be a follower of his? How would you like to, to, to really get to know him? How would you like to enter into sort of relationship with him? And you can lead him to Christ. And if you don't feel equipped to lead them to Christ because you're not sure what to say or not sure you'll be able to answer the questions that they may answer you can do one of two things you can either come to one of our advanced groups or our boot camps which Colin Mannion's putting on where you'll be taught the basics of sharing your faith in a nice, easy, attractive, spontaneous way and it works and and Jean has been doing that recently with somebody and she'll tell you about that later if you ask her you can either do that or you can invite them to church preferably on the last Sunday of the month when we're going to be regularly sharing the gospel. You know, over the last 20 or 30 years, the new churches like this have been a sort of catalyst, have been like a model to the other traditional denominational churches. 
with regard to worship and how church is run and how it's governed. But, but I think, I think, I really believe there's still more for us to model. And that is our understanding for and our love of mission. Our love of seeing the lost, the last, and the least getting saved. About a year, 18 months ago, I was invited to go and speak in um, an Anglican church, Church of England. And uh, it, was a, it was a fabulous experience. I really enjoyed it. Um, and at one moment, um, I shut my eyes in the worship and I thought I could be back in LDC at the moment. They were singing our songs, you know, or perhaps we were singing their songs. I don't know, but we were singing the same songs. And it was lovely and informal and warm and friendly. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. But you know, they invited me there because they said, we want you to come and tell us how to do mission. Will you come and preach to us, please, about how you do mission? And that was what I did. But a year ago, I was asked to join the hub, big focal point in the middle of Harrogate. I'm sure you've all heard of it. I was asked to join the hub as a trustee. And the reason they asked me was because LDC, they said, has got a great grasp of what it is to do mission. And they wanted that in the hub. I could tell you of other Christian organizations and churches, and please don't think I'm being boastful or conceited. I'm telling you what's the truth. Can't hide it. Tell you of other churches and Christian groups and organizations that are saying, you guys have got a good understanding of what it takes to reach the lost. Come and help us do it. Come and help us do it. I'm not being conceited. I'm not being arrogant. I'm telling you what's happening. And I'm saying that I really believe that this type of church, our type of church, still has something of great value to contribute to the wider Christian community. And that is our enthusiasm to share the gospel with the lost, the last, and the least. I think we understand the importance of and have an overwhelming desire to see people becoming Christians and coming into the kingdom of God. And I believe that increasingly so, we have to infect other churches with this virus with that understanding and desire. It's churches like this who can lead the way and are, to a very certain, great extent, doing that already. For instance, it's this church that's got hold of the whole concept of Advance 2020 and are now feeding it into other churches. Some 25 years ago, it was Knaresborough Community Church that was one of the first churches to explore Alpha and find out what that was all about. And now... And now we've got to help people to understand how important mission is and sharing our faith is. But we've got to demonstrate that to other churches so, that it, so we show them that it works when you do it. Other churches need to see that when you pray for people and start to share the gospel with them, miracles take place and people miraculously become Christians and they give their lives to Jesus and everything changes for them and when they see it works they'll want to do it as well and eventually maybe sooner rather than later we'll see Harrogate saved and totally transformed musicians do you want to return I believe that something unique and of God is taking place amongst us during these days. One or two of you said that to me as well. And I've just underlined three things that I think need to happen in this church if we're to encourage, if we're to facilitate, not hinder or impede a move of God. We need to appreciate the blessing and ministry of work in the church. We need to maintain our unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
and finally develop and activate our understanding and our love for mission to the lost and the least and the last. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will will you just now take what's been said and eliminate anything that's not of you and is of me and accentuate and magnify everything that is of you. And will you by your spirit now just cement all of that in place so it becomes part of us. So we can apply it to the way that we do church, to the way that we live our lives, to the way that we go to work, to the work we do in the church, to our unity, to our oneness, and to this whole business of mission. Lord, we commend this to you now in Jesus' name. We pray that you get all the glory and all the praise for everything that happens in the coming days. In Jesus' name, for his sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.